I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of pig. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtitles. Hello, welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Doesn't the week just fly by? It does. It does, Matt. It only I don't know seems where it's gone. Like a few days, maybe six, six and a half days since we were last <laughs> chatting to each other <laughs> about, about uh, crazy film robots. Um, this is the podcast where we are looking at the 50 years between 1927, when the film Metropolis came out, and 1977, when the f- film Star Wars came out. Because both of those films had great robots. They're sort of connected to each other because of the, their design. But we're asking the question, in between those two films, are all the robots completely and totally and utterly shit? <laughs> <laughs> we've, uh, we've made it to the film Gog. Where are we, Stephen Murray? We're in the 1950s and we're sort of in the golden era of 3D films, which is quite interesting. There was two robot films that were made in 3D. One we've already looked at, which was Robot Monster, and then there was this one called Gog. Gog, filmed in natural vision 3D. Oh, it was filmed also in 3D horoscope on a poster. Now, does, is horoscope a thing or is it just a marketing no, term? No, it's a marketing term. Okay, yeah. But what was very cool was after watching GOG, I googled natural vision 3D and I've got a pair of 3D glasses and there's a, a thing on YouTube. I'll, I'll, I'll link to it in the, in the show notes. But um, it's such a cool technique, the, um, the 3D that they, they have with this. And it's sort of like it's not... It's not even very dramatic, I think, the 3D, is it? It's just sort of, it's quite just subtle layering of uh, elements in the film. Ironically enough, the film that really got it right and it was utterly accidental was Robot Monster. Yeah. Well, so if you've not listened to our episode on Robot Monster, go back and listen to it. Essentially, we called the robot in Robot Monster the worst robot we've seen so far. And we're quite scornful of the film and I and I've also seen a clip now in 3D of Robot Monster with 3D glasses, and I have to say that I think I would love to see that film again in in 3D. It's charming, isn't it? It is, and I think that that because we w- didn't watch it in the way the filmmaker intended, I think that we absolutely missed a massive chunk of the 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 joy of that film. Yeah, we did. Uh, I I was delighted when I saw that clip. I was just I sat and smiled. Yeah, me too. And just the bubbles. It makes total sense of the bubbles in that film. There's a there's a, a billion dollar billion bubble <laughs> machine in that film, which is inexplicable unless you're wearing 3D glasses. And then it's, oh, my God, I totally get why they've used all these bubbles. Completely makes sense. Yeah. So go back and listen to Robot Monster. But be kind to us because we didn't have 3D glasses when we watched no. it. We didn't. We tried to put ourselves into the mind of somebody from the early 50s, didn't we? We tried. And we absolutely failed. We just completely failed. (laughs) We're just all avatared out, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Okay, so back to Gog, which is, as you say, is is the other film that was filmed in 3D that has a robot in. I mean, again, on, like, first impressions, it feels like we've turned a corner in terms of films feeling a bit more a bit more modern a bit more like I was I got into this film much more easily than some of the other films that we've we've trawled through 
So there's three films in uh, what are called the Office of Scientific Investigation films that this uh, guy called Ivan Tors created. Now, Ivan Tors, he's a, a producer, but he likes his films to be quite scientifically accurate. <laughs> so the three films from the Office of Scientific Investigation is The Magnetic Monster, Raiders to the Stars in 1954. Magnetic Monster was 1953. And the last one in the series, Gog, which we're looking at, was in 1954 again. As you say, all the films are sort of more based on science, scientific fact than science, science fiction. Yes. I would say that a lot of... I think this is about a lot of modern science fiction films as well that they really rely on on basically having a scientifically illiterate audience. Yeah. And so they can basically say anything and people will oh, go, yeah, oh, that yeah. sounds... Oh, they've said ions. Oh, yeah, that sounds yeah. like that's plausible. I look at something like a film like... Um, that, uh, did you ever watch 2012? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that at the beginning has got a whole, like... Attempt to to scientifically rationalise the the carnage and chaos of the last two hours of that film, which is all rubbish. Was it just? It was the sun, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, it's it like it's, it's it's like ions or something from the sun bombarding. You know, and you think they're just. It's it's a bit like in medical dramas, isn't it? Where oh, they yeah. just shout numbers and acronyms. <laughs> it sounds really impressive. CSI. They do it all the time in the CSI programs. Yeah. So it feels a little bit like this. And I'd say that, that knowing now that, that um, Ivan Tours wanted to kind of like create something that had a more scientific reality about it, it makes sense of this. And I think yeah. he achieves that, but it is still full of absolute nonsense. Oh, it's mad. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> going to very quickly, in very broad brushstrokes, detail the plot. The, the, the plot is basically set in a base... Yeah. In in a, a desert in America, yeah. and a, a member of the Office of Scientific Investigation has been called in to investigate some mysterious things that are happening on the base. Deaths, so called, deaths, deaths, oh. mysterious deaths. <laughs> Each room has a specific death in it. So he yeah. flies in in a helicopter that gets taken over at some point by Novak. Yeah, the brain. Nuclear operative variable automatic computer. And it oh, it oversees everything in this base. Now, the interesting thing about the base is it's on many different levels. When you say that, you mean you don't mean like metaphorical levels. No, no, no. It goes down in different <laughs> levels. <laughs> so yeah. it goes down in layers. Uh, there's lots and lots of different floors that do different things. Uh, the more dangerous the experiments, the lower you are, so it's safer. Yes. Uh, and everything's... Uh, different different color clothing for each layer it's quite interesting the way it's done which is very similar to the base in um the andromeda strain then the film has a look of a 1960s i don't know in the 50s but a 1960s tv american to the time tunnel i'm thinking time of. tunnel that sort of thing land of the giants yeah it's it looks just like that which is i'm not that's not a complaint by the way because i love that sort of aesthetic very bright colors yeah and yet there is, as you say, there's this sort of darkness because there's all these it, it's sort of strange murders that are happening that no one can quite quite work out. And the concept is quite interesting because it is the supercomputer going going mad. Who would have thunk it? Exactly. You're going to put a computer in charge of everything, including two robots, Gog and Magog. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Which is something a phrase we continuously use in <laughs> yes, these podcasts. We do. I loved the opening murder 
I thought that was great. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, which was um, two scientists or three scientists who are working in this laboratory that they can turn the temperature way down to like minus 50. And one by one, the computer kind of lures them into the room, traps them in the room and freezes them to death so that we are told later that when they fell down, their bodies shattered into you hear the first pieces. one shatter yeah it's quite a comedy fall though isn't it that he does it is well it's what they were doing in that room and which made me think that the monkey did it because they were <laughs> injected a monkey with some sort of antifreeze and they froze the monkey right down uh and then they defrosted the monkey uh, and this experiment is so uh, the whole base is, is basically s- uh, around research for space flight. But how hard would it have been when they were designing that that lab for them to put in a button so that if the door does lock and you're trapped inside, that there's some sort of release? I mean, surely Health that is safety like safety did not exist then, Matthew. <laughs> surely that's an obvious flaw in the design of that that laboratory. They didn't have help. They didn't have ramps. <laughs> <laughs> they needed they needed some ramps for the two robots Gog and Magog to have yeah, got around. So because the the design is uh, is quite is quite utterly different from what we're used to, isn't it? It it is, yeah. And so at forty minutes in, we see the two robots Gog and Magog, who um, are they? They are so they they're first of all they're they're powered or they they get their commands through an an, an IBM typewriter. Yeah, um, I thought IBM was was interesting though, because essentially yeah. a part of this, it feels like Novak, this brain, this computer, this super brain, feels a little bit like Hal from uh, two thousand and one. Definitely, and except that that Novak never speaks; it doesn't have a sort of like a personality as such. Um, and IBM obviously is where they got the name Hal from, isn't it? Oh, we don't know whether this is true because Hal is one letter up from IBM, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought that was. I thought that was. Um, well, the the, the story goes fact. that he, he he wasn't getting any help from IBM, and he decided to parry parody IBM by doing that. But I, I think it's apocryphal. I might be wrong. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to try and describe the um, Gog and Magog. Because, like you said, they are—they do look very different, but in some ways, they are—they've got similarities to other robots we've seen in in this series. They've got arms and they've got pincers. They've got many arms. They have. They've got four arms, and they're on treads, which we've never seen before, have we? No, never seen treads before. And they—that you—they—they—they they, they do have a sort of tanky bottom to them. Um, which they again do. is is different because usually robots we've seen. In fact, the the robot that we've just been watching in the most recent episode from uh, Devil Girl from Mars had um, legs with ho- like big horses' hooves on the end of them. So, <laughs> so clumpy, it's, clumpy feet. <laughs> clumpy feet. There's a lot been a, been a lot of clomping from robots, yeah. and you don't get this with Gog and Magog because they are on treads. Um, functional. They they come across as being functional. Like everything in the film seems to be quite functional. Yeah, except they do seem a bit chaotic, don't they? Like um, when when they move, their arms flap around, flail around a place. And I don't know why well, they do that. Why do oh, they do that? Because it's in three D. Do you think that's the reason? Yeah. 
Okay. That's the entire reason. Okay, fair enough. It's the same reason why the woman at the beginning of the film holds a syringe out. <laughs> right to your face. Um, and they've got... They've also got a flamethrower. Yeah, that's on useful. Them. Very it useful. It is useful. Now, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit Freudian, but it was it's essentially a phallus, isn't it? Right, I've just seen it. Yeah. I mean, it is, isn't it? I'm now wondering how you saw that before me. <laughs> it's right. And also, it's a a very proud phallus as well because it's in it's in an upright position. Until it, it's until it's used and, wow. and it's lowered. <laughs> I never ever thought I'd have the day when you'd render me speechless <laughs> by noticing something phallic that you had. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the the face of the robot, it's like a a, a sphere, a ball. Um, it really reminded me. This might not mean much to 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 you or maybe to other other people, but of Pob. Oh yeah, I remember Pob. Remember Pob. Reminded me of Pop's head. Just a Pub! Sort of, yeah, that's it. Just a ball with a couple of eyes. But essentially, it looks incredibly cute, I thought. Yeah. Out of all the robots we've uh, we've encountered, this one, you just think, ah, oh, okay, we've moved on. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it still has the look, I think, of, ch- of that it's, it's been designed by a child. Who is obsessed with World War I tanks. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, I would say. A um, couple of, of lines that made me laugh um, that were t- in, to describe the robots. Um, so just to go back to Novak's, this, this brain that's controlling everything. And, and Novak has got a scientist, a scientist attached to it that is the expert, the Novak expert on the base, who's constantly like fretting about things and trying to you know manage Novak and pulling things out like leads out of sockets and shoving them in and he's sort of cross all the time but he says of Gog and Magog the robots he said I consider them equal to Novak a great achievement in electronic science and then one of them says about Gog and Magog I've seen them before they're frightening Um, and I couldn't help thinking (laughs) both of those sentences gave Gog and Magog some sort of terror or mm. that they, they just didn't possess at all it wasn't there at all no they were too flailing they were too i mean they're basically i know they're on tracks but they're obviously like remote controlled and they're they sort of like do sort of wobble about a bit they don't look very sturdy no. and they don't look like they could maneuver very very easily um when they when later in the film they they start trapping people um, menacingly well, you say and they trap yeah but it's always in a corner isn't it and and the... they just flung themselves into towers <laughs> <laughs> they fall into it <laughs> but they end up uh, Gog and Magog sort of the last sort of half hour of the film going on a murderous rampage where they kill I mean well, they kill a lot of people don't they I think we should go right back to the beginning and talk about the these murder rooms. <clears throat> okay. They were like each room had a different method of killing. Like there was the freezing room. Yeah. Then there was the sound room. For yes. some explicable reason, there was a lineup of killer tuning forks. Yeah. Which pick up vibrations and for some reason focuses heat onto a leather chair and then focuses all this heat on everybody in the room. Yeah. Then there's the sun mirror room. Which tries to kill? Uh, well, I think it did manage to kill somebody, didn't it? No, it nearly killed somebody. Nearly killed somebody. But that scene is quite quite good because yeah. there's a mirror on yeah. the surface that focuses the sun down into the base, into this particular murder room, mm. 
uh, and then follows this woman around the room as she's dodging this um, sun murder mirror. <laughs> the sort of laser that comes and off the sun murder mirror. Then there's the Gog and Magog, which is the, the killer robots. Is there any other rooms in this? I think that... no. Well, yeah, there's the... Um, the sexy uh, gravity gravity room where oh. the, that, that scientist just goes in to perv on the woman all the time. Oh, there's two people getting killed in that room. Yeah. They get they killed get... In, in a scene reminiscent of a Bond film, don't they? The G-Force. Centrifuge. That's they it, get centrifuge. centrifuge to death. Yeah. yeah, they do. Isn't there a radioactive room as well? That they, they, well, there is, isn't there? Yeah. They just all walk into, in behind a man with a radiation suit on. And yeah. you just stood there thinking, well, where's your suit? Yeah. But I really liked the fact that, that you know, you've spoken about Ivan Tours, the writer and the producer, wanting to like make this about scientific realism. Yeah. And in one of the rooms are, and I'm quoting here, electronically controlled tuning forks. Yeah. A line of them. Yeah, which end up killing killing a man. Yeah, he just catches fire in front of them. He gets everybody out of the room and he has every ample opportunity to do so himself. Yeah. And then he just stands there in front of the tuning forks like he's some sort yeah, of... Yeah, why didn't he leave the room? I don't understand. It's like he's an art project. And yeah. Then he, sets, so he just bursts into flames. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Now they they did talk about one thing they did talk about which I've seen is this this they called it the sun mirror or the solar mirror. That's the one. I've seen that um, people talk about that in in actual real life. It's in the opening sequences to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Is it? Yeah, those great big round things. And what the what happens is all these mirrors focus the light onto a tower, and at the top of the tower there's a form of metallic salt, which uh, it heats it up. Because I saw it it's in a. In reference to this village, I think in Italy, that is in a valley, and the valley, the the, the mountain sides that surround it are so steep that they never get any daylight in this village, and so there was this plan that they should put a, a massive mirror that would then reflect the sunlight back into the into the valley. There is somewhere that does do that. It's Wait, just a little patch of sunlight, in and they everybody in the the town goes and stands in there every now and again. Did I dream that, Matthew? No. I think that's the thing. The look of the film made me think of Walt Disney and some yeah. of the early Walt Disney things. And there's a connection between Walt Disney and this film. Yes. Because in one of the photographs of promoting the film, the robot in the poster is Garko. Garko was a functional robot uh, that Walt Disney featured in one of his films about uh, a trip to Mars, and Garko stand next to Walt Disney and and speaks, and he was used as a publicity robot for the film, though he looks absolutely nothing like uh, Gog or Magog at all. The reception I've just noticed, just seen the 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 film was previewed in three D at the United Artists Screening Room. Initial critical response to the film ranged from quotes good to quotes very good there's a there's a quote here from william r weaver who worked for motion picture herald who said of gog quotes the production moves steadily forward keeping interest growing at a steady pace and exciting the imagination without overstraining credulity and i think that is absolutely sums up the film gog yeah i think that is a bang on review it's an interesting film yeah i agree Another interesting aspect of it is the thing that's happening to the base is the <clears throat> supercomputer was built in a foreign country. Switzerland, 
in a neutral country. And this neutral country had put bits in it so they could take control of the supercomputer. Now, what does that remind you of? Oh, I don't know. Huawei. Let me read you this very quickly. Huawei will be completely removed from the UK's 5G network by the end of 2027. The government has announced following new advice produced by the National Cybersecurity Centre on the impact of the US sanctions against the telecommunications vendor. I mean, does that mean that there's some some officer at Huawei who is a big fan of the heyday oh. of 3D films from the 1950s? Are we going to see a robot gorilla coming out of the Huawei Research and Development Department. <laughs> like it has to happen. It has to happen. I yeah. would like to do a big shout-out to somebody. Uh, he's called Bob Fermanek, and he's the guy who restored GOG and Robot Monster to 3D because uh, prior to him finding these uh, films and restoring to 3D, they only existed either on the left side or the right side. Oh, so you yeah, need both the left side and the right side to make a 3D film. Yeah. So they only ever had one side of these films, but he scoured and put adverts out and found the left and the right side, especially of GOG. And one side, the left side was pretty badly um, degraded, but they restored it and put it back together again. And he's, uh, he's the head of the 3D film archive. Well, good old shout-out then. Yeah. I was just, just thinking, why do you think they called it Gog as opposed oh. to calling it Magog or Gog and Magog? Because uh, Gog is the pre- predominant one in Scripture. So Gog and Magog appear in the Bible, don't they? They do. And in the Quran. In the Quran, yeah. The Torah. The Torah, yeah. We know that Gog was an individual, don't we? It changes. It changes all the time. And it even becomes a concept. And the concept is fulfilling the end of days? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Which sort of has a nice sort of thematic sort of loop back to the the way that the robots are in this film because they certainly are very naughty. They are very, very naughty indeed because they want to push push in a pile, a nuclear pile. I know. And it is end of days, proper end of days, isn't it? Yes, it would be. Um, are you familiar with Gog Magog? Is this the British one? The, is yeah. Is this the two giants? So, Gog, well, Gog Magog was, a, was one giant. I know this because, and this is an extraordinary way of plugging something of mine that's coming out, but I've got a children's book coming out in September. Oh, yes, and of a course ca- you do. There's, a, there's a, a character in it called Gog Magog. Yes. Um, and so Gog Magog it comes from there's a there's a um, a sort of founding British myth about um, a Syrian princess called Alba who travels with like thirty or forty of her sisters uh, away from Syria because there's been some bad stuff that's gone down with um, marriages and all sorts, and they end up coming to Britain and that's why it's called Albion because of Alba. And they end up um, making out with demons on the on the land, loving it when they find when they find Britain, and then they and from that a race of giants is born, and Gog Magog is one of those giants. The um, Historia Regium Britannia, which was the Geoffrey of Monmouth book, quite a famous book about the history of Britain, 
uh, which is like the 12th century, I think, yeah. that he's in there, Gog Magog's in there. Then there's a connection to London, to the Guildhall in London, yeah, that they are the guardians of London. Um, and there was two big wooden statues that used to come out on the Lord Mayor's Day. That's it. And be paraded, but they sadly got lost during the Second World War. Did they really? I think they did. I think if there are, if they do exist now, they're replicas. Oh, that's interesting. And the name Gog Magog is thought to either be connected to the biblical characters of Gog and Magog, but there is a thought that there is a Welsh a corruption yes. of the Welsh Cowmadog, which yeah. is the giant. But this Madog. is the thing about this: these two words, these it goes back so far, yeah, and it's come so far forward, and they're still around. Uh, and they're all intermingled and interwoven with each other. Yeah. It's really interesting. Okay, so that is the film Gog, which I have to say I thought was good. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Um, it. Despite its shortcomings, I thought yeah. it was, yeah, it was very watchable. It's science fiction. It's a murder mystery. Yeah. What's not it's to got, like? It's got robots. Yeah. Which is why we're here. <laughs> all, all, the, all the good stuff. Um, so, yeah, please share and don't forget to... Have a look at the show notes. There's some really interesting stuff in there, particularly if you've got an old pair of 3D glasses knocking around at home because there's some oh, yeah. some stuff that I think you'll really, really like. Uh, we will see you next time with another thrilling episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Until then, goodbye. I'm so excited. Goodbye.